Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. I'd like to start by acknowledging that I am recording on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and future. I also acknowledge and respect the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practice of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, and I extend that respect to any First Nations people we might have here with us today. Being on a board can be an incredibly valuable, interesting and exciting experience. Yet it can also be lonely, challenging and, let's face it, pretty hard. So here at Take On Board, I'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you navigate your way onto a board, onto your next board and to build your governance wisdom. Now, on with the show. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Cathy Jones about her observations on being a fresh board member. First, let me tell you about Cathy. Cathy is on the boards of Goulburn Valley Health in Shepparton, Each Community Health and the Transport Accident Commission, the TAC, here in Victoria. Cathy's got 25 years' experience in both public and private health and hospital settings as an executive responsible for clinical governance, quality and risk management and patient experience. Her work around these areas is extensive, covering lecturing, publishing research, involvement on various government committees, and hosting the popular No Harm Done podcast. Kathy started working life as a speech pathologist. To relax, she likes nothing better than watching a full five days of test match cricket. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Kathy. Lovely to be here, Helia. Great to, to talk to your community. It's so awesome to have another podcast host as well. Like I knew you through your podcast before knowing you as a a whole being rather than just a voice in my ear or voices in my ear. So it's a little bit exciting to have you here. <laughs> I think I, I think I first met you in person, inverted commas, uh, virtually when I facilitated something for each. And I was a little bit starstruck having you in the course because you were the podcast host. But anyway, <laughs> so it is lovely to have you here. Oh, that's very nice of you. <laughs> now, before we talk about your learning as a fresh board member, as always, I want to dig a little bit deeper about you. So can you tell me, what was your earliest experience of governance? Well, I think without quite realising it for my entire career, I've always been more interested in governance than in operations, just like I lean a bit more to leadership rather than management. So that's why I've ended up in clinical governance 
clinical governance roles as my day job rather than actually treating patients, which I did for a little bit. And in clinical governance or any quality or risk role, you've got to give staff a lot of guidance, but actually it works best for safety and quality if they do the work themselves. So it is a bit like being on a board in a way. Uh, Your entire job is trying hard to resist doing the work for all the staff out there on the ground. So I understand that tension really well. And my preference is absolutely on the governance side. Just in saying that, though, similar to being on a board, when there's a looming risk or unexpected event, like an inspection or an accreditation, everyone has to jump in and help and roll their sleeves up. But clinical governance has been my preference. I've done other bits and pieces of jobs. You know, I've done other executive roles, and I always come back to this sort of quality and risk management area. So it's clearly where my uh, preference lies. Now, you've said clinical governance a couple of times here. Can you give us the the layperson's guide to clinical governance? What is clinical governance? For your audience, uh, you're just talking about corporate governance, right? But in a health or a care setting, clinical governance is making sure the clinical care and treatment has the same kind of checks and balances you'd expect of corporate governance. So audits and monitoring and analysis of variation and uh, management of risk. Clinical governance involves both risk management, getting fewer things wrong in a healthcare setting, for example, and, and also quality improvement, so getting more things right. So that's really the, the nutshell of clinical governance. It often is things like event management of accreditation, policies and procedures and all of that sort of thing. But more interestingly, it's about improving healthcare and making sure the best evidence is used. So it's a really nice uh, change management kind of job, actually. These terms roll off our tongue and then it's like, oh, what does that actually mean? And as somebody who's on a hospital board but not from a health background, I know when I joined the board, I'm like, huh, what is this thing? So, uh, which is partly how I came to your podcast. So if today we're talking about, in some ways, your, your relatively fresh eyes on being a board member, maybe let's take a step back from that and just about your journey. Where did your journey begin in this? I mean, we've heard a little bit of it that it's come from your day job, but where did your journey to, I don't know, non-executive governance begin? Tell us a bit about that story. Yeah, so so before I went on a board, I've been on a lot of government committees over the last sort of 10 or 15 years, a lot of the Australian Commission for Safety and Quality in Healthcare, so national sort of groups, which are very similar to boards in a way, or they're more like advisory boards, I guess, you know, advising, making decisions that would impact, you know, national healthcare standards in Australia. So I really enjoyed that. So knowing that sometimes people get put on a committee early in their career and they go, well, don't like this very much, but uh, I really enjoyed that part of my role. And secondly, as an executive I was running keyboard subcommittees, right? I was actually in charge of some of these and putting the agendas together and making sure everything was covered. And that was for publicly listed companies, sometimes private equity boards that were very distant, government agencies as well. And I think as an executive, I had my fair share of experience with substandard board members. I think I think I've worked with enough boards for those individuals to remain anonymous. <laughs> but eventually one of my my direct reports actually said, "Why don't you become a board director?" <laughs> so I was probably complaining. <laughs> and she probably goes, "Why don't you do it? If you're um, so clever, <laughs> you step up to it then." Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. And so I had this in the back of my mind for a while, but of course my day job was way too, way too busy. I was doing national role across 50 hospitals at that point. So, and then I think it was early 2020, maybe I decided I would probably start heading towards uh, my participation in the great resignation. (laughs) So I was thinking about that. I was thinking about 
transitioning to sort of some more consulting and advising and and then I thought, well, you know, board roles go really well with that. It's a really complementary part of a, of a career. So my aim was to get on several boards, part of a portfolio, I guess, a part-time phase of my career, maybe a temporary part-time phase. I started to apply for, for various boards at that point. I kind of had a bit of an action plan of, okay, I'm going to get on a board. I'm going to listen to Hellyer's podcast and I'm going to get on a board. <laughs> yeah. Which one was your first board? Was it each, the Community Health Centre? I think no, it was actually Golden Valley Health. Right. So, I, And in fact, I don't have a first board. I have two first boards. I started them on the same day. So I started them both on the first day of July 2020. And the previous year or, or earlier that year, I had applied for a public hospital board. I went onto the, the website and applied there. And that's how I got that particular position, partly because of my clinical governance expertise is a rare skill. So it's a skill that they're looking for for particular boards. One of the, the things that I did was apply for four different regional hospital boards that I had some connection with. So places geographically that I had a connection with, because uh, I felt like that's where my skills could be best utilised. And it did turn out that skill set is the very gap most hospital boards have, or a lot of hospital boards have. Other advantages that government boards often do pay. So I had the advantage there of, oh, maybe I'll actually get paid for this, which is very unusual for a, for a first board. But luckily, there was a board that needed my skills. A lot of the regional healthcare boards in, in Victoria have to sort of fly in, fly out some of their directors for certain areas of expertise, such as IT or even human resources and that kind of thing. That was uh, the first board. And then at the same time, I was um, doing a little bit of work with uh, my podcast co-host and she was working with each community health and they, she was identifying that perhaps they had a gap on their board in clinical governance. And uh, so I, I jumped onto that board at the same time. So it was a, a bit of a baptism of fire there, <laughs> but uh, yeah, good in lots of ways because you get to ask the questions that one board, one board gives you things and the other board might not. And you get to ask the questions across both of them. So that was, that was really good. That's true. And it's interesting, I think, I mean, it's part of our topic for today, but being fresh, you often see things that others who have been around for a lot longer don't see. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting, I think, because you only get one shot at being new in the boardroom. So I'm wondering for both of the boards that you joined at the start, you know, what you might have noticed there or, or what was it about it when you were new in that boardroom, yeah, that you observed? I think when you, when you first start, my first impression was that I better not say anything because I don't know what I'm talking about in this boardroom. But in actual fact, that is the time when you can ask fresh questions. And after a, a few months or six months or so, you're supposed to really know all the answers about the basic stuff at that point. So I think one of my, my best tips, and I didn't do this particularly well at the start, but I am going to do it. I am doing it for my next board. For the first few meetings, once you've read the papers, you write down your questions. For example, page 65, why did you decide to postpone the employee engagement survey or whatever it is? Make sure you have about 10 questions and page numbers. And then what I should have done and what I did eventually was send those questions to my board buddy or maybe the board chair with a bit of a cover email that says something like, you know, below are my questions after reading the papers. I'm not really comfortable asking them all in my first meeting. So first up, do you happen to know the answer to any of them? Thanks in advance. And secondly, which questions do you think are worth asking? So I found that gave me a lot more confidence. I did that a couple of times. I was a bit deeper in. I probably should have done it with my very first meeting. But what it did was number one, gave me a bit of confidence to ask those questions in my first few meetings because the board chair or someone else had said, yep, yeah, good idea. And number two, it meant 
you also be confident you're not wasting time on issues of common knowledge, which is a big barrier to asking questions. You know, there's seven other people here. They already know the answer. I better not waste the time. Number three, I guess the advantage is you'll have some questions scripted because I think you need to script. I'm really, I'm a big fan of scripting what you want to say if, if you're slightly over your head. That's something I really learned in that, those first couple of board meetings. And I will be using that when I, I haven't even been to my first board meeting yet for TAC, that's looming. So I will be using that same strategy when I go to my first meeting for them. Oh, I've got two things I want to follow up there. One, you said you checked your questions with your board buddy. So I'd love you to talk us through how that worked with each of your boards and maybe even with the TAC board as well. Yeah, let's start there. Tell us about your your board buddy and how that worked. Yeah, so the first couple of boards, and it may be just because I was a brand new board member, but I did get allocated a board buddy and I could select that person, which was really interesting. And it didn't help because I didn't know anyone. But so, but I did <laughs> get allocated a board buddy for for Goulburn Valley Health and and also for each. And so that board buddy, I had a coffee with them early on and just some informal chat that was, you know, more than what was covered in official orientation. It was part of the official orientation, I guess, but it meant that you had someone you could bounce ideas off in between meetings. And I think particularly at that time in, in 2020, of course, we were all moving to virtual meetings. I didn't get to meet anyone in person for a good six months after those boards started. So it was useful, particularly useful to have a board buddy. Oh, that's interesting. So for both of those boards, they said you choose. Yes, I think so. That's my memory of it anyway. Yeah. Interesting. That's interesting. I know one of my boards is the Royal Women's Hospital and we normally allocate people a board buddy. In fact, at our board, we allocate a board buddy and an executive buddy as well. So they've got someone from the exec team. But yeah, it's interesting. I'd never thought, hmm, I'll rethink that now for our board about saying, well, you choose. Like I said, I don't know how helpful it was when I didn't know these people, but it was good to have, I think, a board buddy that wasn't too deep, actually, into their board experience because then they remembered what it was like to be a starting startup member. And it's interesting you'd noted about writing some questions. The other thing I've noticed about virtual meetings is it's actually a bit easier to have those in front of you because you're on screen, so people can't necessarily see what's in front of you, but it's also fine to do that in the boardroom when people can see it. Like it's expected, I would think. You have your list of questions. That's what you're there to do. That's okay to do. There are some board members that can be a bit long-winded with their questions. And I think that that comes from not being that clear about your question before you go in. So so you're about to join a new board. Uh, when's your first board meeting, the, tra- the Transport Accident Commission? When's the first meeting? Later in October. Later in October. Yeah. Okay. And when were you appointed? So I think start of September. Okay. So what's happened in between? I'm interested about any induction that may have happened prior to your first board meeting. Yeah, I had a fabulous induction. They have the head office in Geelong. I had a wonderful induction where I went and met all of the execs and uh, had, a, had a meeting with each of them. And it was about a four-hour, I think, induction. Got my pass, got the board uh, paper app put on my computer, got a, shown the car park and, and shown how to get up to the to the area and all of that sort of thing. And then I've also had coffee catch-ups with the CEO and coffee catch-ups with the board chair. And so that's all been really effective as well. And they, interestingly, they, they seem to have an informal catch-up in between board meetings. So board meetings, if they're two-monthly, they'd have an informal catch-up on the alternate month. And I really like that idea. I haven't had a lot of experience with it yet, 
But one of the advantages is that a lot of the paperwork can get in the way, actually, I find at board meetings, the paperwork gets in the way. And I think an informal catch-up perhaps is a good way of just asking more questions and having more of a, a discussion with the CEO rather than just an official board meeting. But uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll see how that goes. Yeah. Is it face-to-face? Well, you might not know yet. You're... It's, a, it's virtual. Yeah. Which involves yep. the CEO virtual. and the board. It's virtual. Yeah. And just a space to have a yarn about whatever, like I'm guessing if it's informal, there's no agenda, there's no papers. It's just a check-in. No agenda, but it's, yeah, it's like a CEO report. So I think a lot of boards will send something out in between meetings and it's a CEO report if they don't have a meeting or if there's a long gap. Some boards only meet quarterly, right? So if there's a long gap, then it's quite common, I think, to have a written report come out to the board directors in between. But yeah, this is just a sort of a, a virtual catch up. And I guess it probably never happened before COVID, right? People probably just didn't do it. They wouldn't have had a teleconference call. I don't know. Maybe they did. But uh, I feel like this is a COVID uh, phenomena. <laughs> One of my clients has talked about with her board, they always have a dinner the night before. People are from around Australia. They all fly in, dinner the night before, and then the next day have the board meeting. And she has also reflected that since they've had that time, often some of the stuff gets dealt with the night before. And that makes the the meeting the next day flow much more freely, I guess. Yeah, that's right. That's the same uh, with my Shepparton board has a dinner the night before usually or quite often and apparently the TAC does the same. So I think it's a great idea. So so with your, you know, again, fresh portfolio, which is pretty impressive to have built over two years, I must say as well, just call that out, having two boards starting on one day <laughs> and then a third board starting, what, 18 months after your first one. Mm. Pretty impressive, and all of them being paid boards, I think. Is each also a... Not all of them. No, each is an unpaid. Yeah, each is unpaid. Just in very practical terms, uh, I'm on three boards as well, and sometimes juggling the diary, right? All the committee meetings, the board meetings, the getting to and from. How's that working for you? <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I, uh, it's very difficult. I guess the very experienced boards, I'm putting TAC into this category of like, they have already got every meeting in for next year. Like that is incredible at this stage. And they had it in September. I had every meeting in for 2023. I already have a clash where all three of my boards are in the final week of the month already. (laughs) It's been like that for the two boards I've been on. And also of course the TAC board is on exactly the same day as the each one. That is already a big clash you'll always have clashes because all the subcommittees of course are on different days as well so I'm just waiting to see I haven't had too many clashes up until now but I'm expecting to have an awful lot of clashes with this third board coming in and and then of course I'm doing this sort of portfolio career where I'm working for about four or five different bosses at the same time (laughs) so it does become difficult to juggle I So tell us about that in as much detail as you're willing to share because often people talk about the portfolio career and I think often they they think it's, inverted commas, just board roles. Well, for me and for others, it's not just board roles. It might have some board roles like it has for you and then some other stuff. Tell us, just out of interest, tell us about your other stuff. 
Oh boy. So, so the other stuff is um, I do a bit, do a bit of lecturing. So I'm lecturing for an international MBA. That luckily is is once a year in a big block. I'm lecturing for the Victorian Hospitals Association as well, which are online lectures. I do a little bit of cricket commentary, which is also paid and sometimes unpaid. And I do paid and unpaid podcasting. Some of them are on the weekend and some of them are in the evening. But those things are difficult, but they're the things that I really enjoy as well. The consultant work, I also try and pick jobs mostly that I enjoy. And But what I'm finding is there's just this wonderful new surge of ability of people who, who have a skill that is in demand to work remote more remotely than we used to. And I guess we always used to work a bit remotely, but I've, I've now doing jobs for you know New South Wales Health and a hospital group up in Queensland and some of those, and even some rural Victorian healthcare organisations, some of those people I never see in person, never. So it's not just part of it being done from home. It's the entire job, Zoom meetings and virtual meetings and all sorts of things being done remotely. And I'm particularly suited to this because when I worked for HealthScope for 15 years or so, I was national. So I was when you have a national role, you're constantly doing things virtually because you are not traveling to everything. So I was very used to it. But it is still quite remarkable that, you, that this has taken off so quickly. I know of people who have jobs in Australia and live in England for a period of time. And uh, that that is not uncommon. I know quite a few people, particularly for rural and regional healthcare services who are living in Melbourne or living somewhere else and they're working full-time for an organisation in another state. It's quite remarkable. And this has sprung up in the last couple of years. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I think it is too. And I think it, I think it's great, that level of flexibility that now exists to do that, that tried to get some of those flexibilities in place for many, 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 <laughs> many years and decades. And overnight, I mean, again, it would be better if we hadn't have had a pandemic, but at least if we have had a pandemic, let's keep some of those strengths that have come from it. And, uh, you know, properly using this remote environment that you and I are recording on right now uh, is one of those things. It's made such a difference. Yeah. And I think my idea was, uh, okay, I had a big, heavy, you know, executive role. It was really long hours and difficult and lots of direct reports. And I thought, oh, well, this will be this will be a bit of freedom. Maybe it'll be part-time. But it turns out that unless you're really good at managing your time, it could, could be four days a week, but it's sometimes it's actually seven days a week. <laughs> so I do need to, I haven't mastered that at all. And I've been doing that for a couple of years. So I need to really be a lot more careful about scheduling my time carefully. At the start of, I think it was only at the start of last year, actually, I now put in my diary reading time for board papers as a block of time. So I put it in both as a task and a block of time. So a week prior to every committee meeting and every board meeting, a chunk of time appears to read papers. And as soon as I did that and did a different colour of it in my diary, it was like, whoa, there's a lot there's in a there. Lot of it. <laughs> yes. And it was like, oh, I now know why I'm always juggling and so busy. Well, for me anyway, if I have reading of papers but don't allocate the time, you're just like, oh, that's something I'll fit in. Like when? When is that going to happen? So it is really difficult. You don't want to be up late the night before reading the papers and some of the healthcare papers are particularly long. You're doing well, hell yeah, because, you know, you do get the odd agenda that's 200 pages long. Some of that is mandatory reporting to the board. It's, you know, regulated by government. They have to report it to us. Absolutely. So, yeah, I've found that time blocking has helped a little bit, although I do sometimes just move it around to, you know, who knows when, but uh, it's helpful. 
Okay, so you've shared some of the things, some of your tips, you know, your buddy system and all sorts of things. I'm wondering if there's anything you've noticed with your fresh eyes that uh, hasn't been so positive. (laughs) You know that I'll be honest on this particular one. (laughs) Look, I'll give you three things that I don't like so much about the boardroom. Okay, the first one is the red tape. So I think there is more red tape in the boardroom than in other areas, perhaps government departments excluded. I have a personal style preference for informality and straightforward language and plain language. And I find that there is not necessarily on my boards, because I don't want to say that they're those, those ones are very, very good, but every board I've ever been involved in, just this sort of unnecessary red tape, unnecessary sludge in the paperwork, just the length and the, and so I do find that a little bit tedious at times. And sometimes the formality of the sort of procession of it all. And that I guess that's the second thing that I, I find sometimes the board can be a bit, a bit too dull. There could be a bit more humour. <laughs> more fun in the boardroom. Yeah, more fun <laughs> in the boardroom. More. Can you remember how the joy of work was rising in popularity in about late 2019? And then some terrible karma god came in and went, you want to do joy at work? I'm going to stop you by giving you all COVID. You know, it's sort of, it was actually on the rise. People were thinking, oh, actually, if people are happy at work, wow, doesn't it make a difference? And it's stalled. So I think being playful in the boardroom is is a real no-no. Everyone's too frightened to do it. So, so much seriousness. I, I think I'd rather a little bit more enthusiasm and, and uh, irreverence and a bit more humour sometimes where, where it's acceptable. Oh, I love that. <laughs> You know, as somebody who facilitates a lot of group workshops, I always love at the start Mm. when we're doing ground rules, when somebody says, fun, can we have fun as a ground rule? And it's like, of course we can. You know, healthy conversations can be fun. And it's interesting, isn't it, that, yeah, fun is often not a word connected to the boardroom. And, yes, boards deal with serious business, but it doesn't mean that it always has to be dealt with seriously, I guess. You can, yeah. Oh, that is a great reflection. Well, if you've got a successful organisation and there's nothing terrible going down, then actually the board should be having fun. Otherwise, no one will want to do that particular job. And then the, one, one last thing that I really don't like, and uh, this is very much a personal personal nitpick here, <laughs> I really hate it when people come and present to the board and they say, I'll take the paper as read, dot, 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 but I'll tell you everything. Yes. I hate that phrase. I don't, I don't know. I think it means they're requiring me to pick out the key points from the 20-pager instead of telling me what those are. What do you think the key points are? And sometimes, you know, I'll ask that question because I want to hear them them tell me rather than it simply being a sentence that's written down. And you know what? I always worry that phrase means one of their underlings has written it and that they haven't read it themselves. <laughs> They're telling themselves to take it as weird. That is so interesting. I've never thought of that. Anyway, look, because hell, when you've written something yourself, you can always summarise it in a couple of sentences. Um, So (laughs) I think I've worked out, it's a very personal thing. And as I'm getting old, I'm getting very cranky about it. So uh, I like the director to, or whoever's presenting to to the board, Maybe it'll prompt another question if they say something about the the paper. And I really like that they do at least summarise your paper in, you know, 50 words or less, you know. Oh, I'm going to be on the lookout for that now. Every time I hear it, I'll have you in my head (laughs) about, I'm loving how we've got a balance there between crankiness, yet we need more fun as well. So, Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, I, I... 
there's a lot of people who love that, who love to take the paper as read because they don't want to hear the person presenting rabbit on about something that they've already read. So, yes. Fair enough. It's a very personal preference of mine. <laughs> oh, Kathy, fantastic. So many great tips in here already <laughs> with your fresh eyes in the, in the boardroom. So I'm wondering, what are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Well, if people are looking for their first board, I think there's a big opportunity actually on the government board websites, you know, national and state. So you can go onto the, the website we will link to, I'm sure, in the show notes that uh, has the profile. You can apply for boards. You don't even have to tell anyone that you're applying. You know, just go on. Why not? Go, go on and apply. In SEEK, you can put non-executive board director and most board vacancies are advertised, even the voluntary ones. So I think that's probably a, a good sort of place to start if you're looking for a, for a board. The government boards, you know, that they, they often are looking for specific specialties. So they may be looking for IT or people and culture or risk or finance or strategy or comms or marketing or whatever. And if you know your specialty and you'll get a feel for the ads and, and how you might fit in. So I think that that's really important to, to think that you don't have to do this through networking. You can just go straight to an advertising kind of position. That's the way I got on my first board effectively, or well, one from networking and one from, from applying. I think the other tip is that if you're going to do the Institute of Company Directors course, maybe try and get on a board before you do that because they might pay for some of it, right? So I think that the cost of that course is a massive hurdle. <laughs> Woman after my own heart. I love it. My impression before I went on a board was that you had to do the course before you went on the board. And so I did. I enrolled in it. I uh, went to the trouble of doing that course, although I'd already got on my first board before I'd started, I think, the week. But, you know, if you want board diversity, make sure the prestigious course isn't something that only old white men can afford. I mean, I know they have some scholarships, but it's really expensive and you can get on a board without it and then they might help you get through it. Both of the boards I went on both said, do you want to do the, the company director's course? And I said, no, I've already done it. So, I would have had some assistance to do that if I'd wanted to, particularly in your first board. So I think that that's, that's a, a real tip. I mean, I guess the other thing is make sure your, your employer is happy with you going on a board if you don't have control over your own time. And true confession, I did, I did leave a job once because the CEO didn't want me to be on a board. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's yes, a good story. Oh, my God, it does say everything, doesn't it, about development and growth, doesn't it? It's it was only a temporary job, but I might have stayed. So I won't say exactly who that employer was. They will remain anonymous. But uh, I think that, that you, you do need to think about that as well. I suppose they're the, the main little tips that to leave people with, I think, Helia. Oh, fantastic. And is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Well, I think that the Join a Public Board website, which is boards in Victoria, it's boards.vic.gov.au, but there'll be an equivalent in every state. I think that is a really good place to go and register for straight away. So I would really recommend that. The other couple of things that I really enjoy at the moment that are related to board work is uh, the book that I've read uh, recently is Why We Sleep by Matt Walker. And this is a really great book on the importance of sleep. And it will mean that you do go to sleep rather than reading your board papers, but you get up fresher in the morning and be able to do it. It's, it's a petrifying book in some ways because it really talks about the dangers of lack of sleep. He's also got a podcast. If you haven't got time to read the whole book, go to find the Matt Walker podcast, uh, which is also good. But my favorite podcast at the moment, Hell Year, is uh, No Stupid Questions 
which is just two clever and funny middle-aged people talking about kind of the psychology of managing work. It's Stephen Dubner who does Freakonomics, but he's him and uh, another podcaster, Angela Duckworth, and it's a wonderful, fun podcast. And they do talk about psychology and things that are helpful for you in the boardroom. Oh, how fantastic. I might look at that one as well. And of course, we'll also link to No Harm Done if people in the Take On Board community are on health boards or indeed, even if you're not on health boards, I think there are some lessons from clinical governance that are actually useful for in all sorts of environments. So um, I recommend you listen into that one as well. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today on the Take On Board podcast. As I say, it's lovely to have a, another podcaster and be a board director, you know, making your mark in oh so many ways. So thank you for coming and sharing with us today. Thank you, hell yeah. It's been great fun. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd really love it if you could also do some of the other podcast things. Share with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And, well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.